Amen. Amen. Hey, well, good morning. Welcome to South. We're glad you're here. My name is Ryan Paulson. I'm the lead pastor here and uh, excited to open God's word with you this morning. If you have a Bible, you can open to John chapter 11. It's where we've been camping out for the last few weeks and we'll be for the next two. So uh, anybody that thinks God doesn't have a sense of humor, please observe. Spring break started when? This weekend. One of the biggest snows of the year when? This weekend. And you are forced to hold palm branches in eight inches of snow and wave them around. And maybe it just stings a little bit more because I'm getting text messages from friends in San Diego saying, it's 75 and sunny here. What's the weather like there? I don't know. Uh, Could be just a personal thing, but I think God has a sense of humor. Um, we are, we're glad that you're here this morning. Uh, John chapter 11 is where we've been over the last few weeks. We're in a series that we're calling Awaken and exploring different ways that God awakens us um, to life. We, we talked about awakening faith and what it looks like to live with our, li- our, our feet firmly planted in the love of God in a way that allows us to walk in a world where difficult things happen, where pain is a reality, and where life just sometimes doesn't turn out the way that we hope it will. Uh, the week after that, we looked at um, awakening hope and what it looks like to hope in the, the glory of God and the plan of God and the purpose of God. Last week, we looked at a short little verse that said, Jesus wept. And we talked about the compassion of God, that not only is he out there somewhere, but that he's very present here and not just present patting us on the back, but present with us in the midst of pain, in the midst of hurt and in the midst of sorrow. And we're continuing this story this morning and and I'm going to just put this out on the table. I'm going to skip over the climactic part of the story, which is Lazarus being raised from the dead. Spoiler alert. If you didn't know, he gets raised. He gets raised. I'm sorry. He gets raised from the dead, and we're going to tackle that next week on Easter Sunday. But today I'm going to fast forward to the very end of that passage, because as I was reading through it and studying it as a whole, it just stood out to me as this sort of anomaly of sorts. And as I, as I studied that, uh, an experience I had a few years ago sort of came back to me. I, um, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid of heights. Anybody else willing to admit it? Yeah. So my family took a trip to the Royal Gorge uh, when I was younger. Worst day of my life. Thank you, mom and dad. <clears throat> Would have rather been in school, to be honest with you. Anyway. Um, I'm, so my friend um, invites Kelly and I to, he has a, a, a little four-seater airplane. And he invited Kelly and I to go on a, a fun sort of double date with them where we were going to take the airplane out and uh, fly up and down the coast and fly up to uh, Slow and have dinner up in uh, San Luis Obispo. And I thought to myself, no, thank you. But I said yes anyway, a moment of bravery. And so we're in this little four seater. He is um, obviously piloting. <clears throat> And I am his faithful assistant just to uh, the side of him. And the fog was too deep to go up and down the coast. So we just decided to fly around for a little bit and see our house from the air and all sorts of fun stuff. But we took off and my palms are just sweaty. I mean, they're not on, they're not touching anything. They are just clenched and at my sides and my palms are sweaty. And I'm thinking to myself, Jesus, if this is the way I'm supposed to meet you, I am all for it. Okay. We get up for a little while and we're cruising around. 
And my friend says to me, hey, Ryan, why don't you, uh, why don't you take the wheel? <clears throat> and I thought, yeah, I don't know if that's really a great idea. <laughs> you know, I'm sitting there. I mean, like my pulse is at like 100 and I'm going, I don't know if I should. And he says, come on, just, just grab the wheel. Nothing's going to go wrong. I, I promise. And so I grab the wheel and I'm like, you know, like this type of thing. And Kelly's in the back and she's getting a little bit sick. Um, I, I think she was probably pregnant at the time. It feels like we've been pregnant for the last four years. So I think she <laughs> was pregnant at the time. So that's a, maybe an excuse, but, or maybe I had a few cups of coffee. I don't know, but I was terrified behind that wheel. And I realized quickly, this is not all that similar to driving a car. Cause he's saying, Hey, will you adjust the, Chimp sham thingy, you know, I don't know what it was, but, and he's like, hey, your riffraff's like way out of whack. And so I'm like adjusting things, trying to, and then eventually I got the hang of it a little bit, but not without a lot of stress to my heart that was probably undue. But I learned something about that. I had a completely different perspective when I was just terrified in my seat with my hands at my side than I did when I was terrified with my hands on the wheel. I had a different perspective when I was actually, quote unquote, flying. <laughs> I, I mean, uh, the view was a little bit different. The, the weight of being in the plane was a little bit more significant. And the memory of it, I think, is different as well. Because isn't it true that when you go from observing a situation to participating in a situation, it just adds a different sense of personal investment a different sense of of memory around that experience. And as I thought about this passage, we're going to come to the very end of this passage where Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And then look at look at what happens in verse 44. Look at what happens. The man who had died came out and that's Lazarus, came out. His hands and his feet bound with linen strips his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, now the them here is most likely Mary and Martha, potentially his disciples, but probably Mary and Martha. They're closest to him. They're most personally invested in Lazarus's raising from the dead. And here's what Jesus says to them. Unbind him. Let him go. It's really interesting because up until this point, in the story, Jesus had been doing most of the heavy lifting. I mean, he was the one who they called to. He was the one who came. He was the one who called Lazarus. Hey, Lazarus, I know that you're dead and you have been for four days, but I got an idea. How about you walk out of the tomb? Mary and Martha, up to this point, are observers. But at this point, they get to step into this story that's going to be told for all time. Amazing, isn't it? And here's the truth of the matter. Here's the, the, the main idea I want us to circle around today. Is this. Is that you and I as followers of Jesus, if that's what you are this morning, if you're a follower of Christ, then God has intimately wired you and designed you in the very core of your DNA to one, experience God's goodness and his grace to you. But that's not the end of the story. 
And I think that's where too many of us live, is we just camp out at the buffet table of Christianity, of knowledge, of learning, of quote-unquote thinking that we're growing, and, and we miss out on one of God's greatest invitations to us. Because he designed you, intricately wired you in the very core of your being, not just to experience and soak in his goodness and his grace to you, but also to participate in his mission in the world. I mean, can you imagine Mary and Martha standing there and up until this point they've been praying and they've been seeking and they've been walking with Jesus to hear their name called and say, hey, you go unwrap him. And the very first people that Lazarus sees after they wrap the cloth off of his head is Mary and Martha? Are you, are you kidding me? Wouldn't you have loved to have been a fly on the wall for that conversation? You know, like, hey, hey um, hi, first of all. And were Lazarus' eyes just as big as saucers? You know, going, what in the world just happened? And do Mary and Martha say to Lazarus, hey, um, what's it like being dead? Do they, is Lazarus happy to see them? Or is he like, it was pretty sweet where I just came from. Not going to lie. That was awesome. This is second best. That was awesome. Good to see you though, nonetheless. I, I don't know what that conversation was like, but I do know that God, not because he needs you or me, but because he's good and because he's gracious and because he loves us, says, hey, you're invited to come and play. You get, you get to play a part. I mean, certainly, if Jesus can raise the dead, he can tear off a few bandages, can he? And for some reason, he says, Mary, Martha, you go. Be a part of my mission. Be a part of my story you're not just observing anymore, Mary Martha, but you are stepping in. And the truth of the matter, friends, is it's his invitation to you and to me also, and it has been throughout the scriptures. Look at the way that God invites Abram to be part of what he's doing in the world. It says this in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, which is um, the famous Abrahamic covenant. The author of Genesis records this. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred, it's your family, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you. And I will make your name great. Now if you're Abram at this time, you're going, Amen. I like what you're doing, God. This sounds real good. Blessing, my name great. Sign me up. And then the next part of the passage comes. So that. So that. Did you know that there's always a so that to the blessings of God in your life? There's, there always, there's always a so that. It's never so that you can just sit back and enjoy. So that you will be a what? Blessing. So that you will be a blessing. Abram, my plan for you, God says, my plan for you is to allow you to soak in the goodness and the grace and the mercy that I am going to lavish down on you so that you will step into the world able to be a conduit of my grace to the people around you. 
Listen to the way that this interaction takes place. If you just fast forward one book in the Bible to Exodus, one of my favorite stories in all of Scripture is God's calling of Moses. And listen to this. Uh, They're about to step out of slavery. God is calling Moses to be the guy, to be the man who would lead his people out of slavery. Listen to this. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And behold, the cry of Israel has come to me and I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. And at this point, Moses is like, oh, yeah, it's about time. A few hundred years, but better late than never. God, thank you very much. I mean, I have heard. I will come down. I will do. I'm going to show up. I'm going to redeem. I'm going to save. And now come, I will send you. I mean... You gotta feel the weight of that. If you're Moses, you're just going, Amen, Amen, Amen. Who? I heard a lot of I's and me's, and then I heard a you. Back up the U train a little bit, guy. Really comfortable with the U train, with the I train. But when it comes to me, stepping into your mission, I don't know. I don't know. Man. I think most of us are really comfortable being recipients of the blessing of God, soaking in the grace of God, understanding the love of God. But I wonder, I wonder if we're as excited about that call where God says, yeah, and I'm sending you. You. I don't know about you, but I I, I want my life to count for something. And as I've read back through this story, and what I want to do is I want to, I want to walk back through some definitive parts of this story where, where Mary and Martha make some decisions. Because the truth of the matter is, is that you and I don't end up at the crossroads of God's divine sovereign plan and our participation in it by accident. I mean, I think a lot of us hope we get that unbind him moment, but... Are we willing to walk with God? And are we willing to uh, know Him? And are we willing to follow? And so there's these points. There's these three points that I want to point out in this story in John chapter 11 that prepare Mary and Martha to stand at the grave of their brother and see Jesus awaken Him to life. And I want to propose that if you and I want to be that same type of person that gets to not just observe what God is doing and not just soak in his goodness and his grace to us, but to participate in it, to be a conduit of it to the world around us. I think we have to be the same type of people who make the same decisions that they made. John 11, look at verse 3 as we walk through this story and see these definitive points where Mary and Martha Step into the plan of God. Verse 3, it says, So the sisters, and you remember, Lazarus is very sick at this point in time. The sisters sent to him, and the hymn here is Jesus, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. He's sick. Lazarus is sick. 
I love it that the first thing that John tells us, their reaction, their first response to Lazarus' sickness isn't, hey, go call the town doctor. Hey, go call the town whatever. It's call Jesus. Call Jesus. Get, get Jesus over here. We, we need him to show up. And, and hey, I'm, I'm all for doctors. Love them. Go to them. God's common grace to us is unbelievably thick and good. But I still think our first call needs to be to Jesus. Our first call needs to be to Jesus. And you can, you can sense in their, in their, in their tone, in the way that they are persistent in calling for him, that there's this, there's this sense of urgency that's attached to their cry. Jesus, come. Jesus, Jesus, show up. And one of the reasons that they find themselves at the crossroad of seeing God's grace and participating in it, being a conduit of it to the world around them, is that they understand the gravity of this mission and they live with a sense of intentionality, of urgency. I mean, they're at the end of their rope, aren't they? I mean, Jesus, show up. And and if you don't, if you don't show up, this does not go the way that we want it to go. We need you. I've had a, a good example of this in my life recently. And, and just this Friday, I went over and had the, day, had the time to spend the day with my mom, who, who you may know is um, pretty sick and not diagnosed yet and just continuing to get worse. And so I, I went and sat with her for, for, for a few hours on Friday. And when I first got there, my dad was there and, and he headed into work when I hung out with mom. But um, his phone was just blowing up. I mean, text messages, phone calls. And I'm like, Dad, you got like heck of popular all of a sudden. You know, what, what's the deal? And he said, well, um, I, I'm talking to a neurologist in New York. I got her, his, her number from a friend and her husband's also a neurologist. And so I've sent them all the paperwork, uh, Mom. And, and, and so they're texting back and forth. And I said, Dad, you got to be like your doctor's worst nightmare, huh? Like, I mean, bringing in all this stuff. Every time he comes, he brings in like a stack of papers. Like, could it be any of these things? Could it be any of these things? And here's what he says to me. He said, Ryan, I told the doctors early on that I would not apologize for being my wife's biggest advocate. And I will bring them anything I find that could be the reason. And they can tell me no, but I'm going to do my part. And as I was sitting listening to my dad talk on the phone to all these different neurologists. And as I'm reading this, I'm, I just sense God saying to me, Ryan, do you have the same type of urgency for the people around you who, who, are, who are perishing? If we, friends, if we really believe what we say, we believe that apart from Jesus, now people live apart from Jesus eternally. In a place called hell. We really believe that here. If we do, man, don't we, don't we need to embrace a little bit more urgency? And I'm not talking crazy sign holding urgency. I'm just talking, we need to be going to God and beating on the doors of heaven. For our friends, for our families, for our neighbors, for our, for our coworkers. I love Mary and Martha's example where they go, come on, call for him. Come on, get Jesus. Get Jesus. If he shows up, it's different. 
If he shows up, it's different. I don't know about you, but I want to be the type of person that cries out to him, to have an urgency in, in prayer, that we cry out to God on behalf of, of other people, the people who he's divinely placed in our midst that we have relationship with. That we're active in prayer and that we are intentional with our presence. That when we have the opportunity to engage in conversation, we take it. We do it. Are you that type of person? I think God's calling us just like Mary and Martha to be that urgent, that persistent, especially, especially with our friends and our families. Are you? Are you? And, and you see why they are. Look at verse 21 with me. It says, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Flip over one verse to verse, or sorry, a few verses to verse 32 also. Verse 32 also. It says this. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying, to him, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. You understand, they, they operate with a sense of urgency because they're convinced that, that, that if Jesus does show up, game changer. If Jesus shows up, Lazarus maybe doesn't get sick. They, I don't know if it's on their radar screen that if Jesus does show up, Lazarus might just walk out of the grave. I'm not sure, but they're convinced of this. If he shows up, his power will be displayed and we will be changed. So, let me, let me press on you a little bit. Are you convinced of the same thing? I think a lot of the reason that maybe we don't cry out with urgency to God is because we're really not convinced that if he shows up, he brings power with him. That if he shows up, he brings change with him. That, he, that if he shows up, he might just be able to speak hope into a desperate situation. That, that he may just be able to speak life into what's dead. That he might just bring light to darkness. I love the way that the prophet Jeremiah writes about this power when he says this. He records God saying, Behold... I am the Lord, the God of all flesh, not a whole lot outside of that, not, not a whole lot of people who are outside of that word all, right? Is anything too hard for me? It's a rhetorical question in the scriptures, but the answer is no, right? So do we really believe it? Do, do we really believe it? That there's nothing too hard for him. See, if we do, if we believe it, we operate with a confidence in the life-changing power of God. That's what, that's what brings Mary and Martha to that crossroads. It's not just their urgency in crying out. But they, they cry out because they believe that there is power in that name. There's power in that presence. There's change that accompanies Jesus. When he walks down that road, coming to Bethany, you better believe they're not just thinking he's coming to give high fives and pats on the back. That he's bringing change and he's bringing power and he is going to move. They both say it. They both say it. 
And I think this passage presses on us a little bit, and, and I think it asks us a question, is our apathy tied to our theology? Is, our, is the fact that we're so laid back and so, um, I'll just speak for me, oftentimes afraid to engage, is the reason behind that that, that, I, that I believe that God is not powerful? I love their example. I love their example. The story goes on. Oh, my slides are a little bit messed up today. That's all right. The story goes on in verse 33 through 35. And let me read this to you. And it says this. When Jesus saw her weeping, and remember we talked about this last week, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved and in his spirit greatly troubled. He's, he's like angered. And he said, where have you laid them? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And in verse 35, it says that Jesus wept. Man, how much do we learn about the character of God? As he's willing to engage this situation and not just see the problem, but see the, the pain and not just run to the solution, but he, he runs to the people and they sit with him and they cry with him. And and they see, here's what they see. They see that the things that break their heart also break the heart of God. And they see that the things that break the heart of God also break their heart. We, We call that intimacy. We call that really knowing each other. That there's this exchange of pain that invites them into a depth of relationship that they wouldn't have had without this. You see, not only do they operate with urgency and not only do they operate with conviction, but Mary and Martha, they also, they also, they know that intimacy with Jesus precedes activity for Jesus. Before he calls them to do anything, Before he says, hey, go unbind them, or before he sends them out on mission, what they do is they come together and there's a connection on an intimate heart level. Did you know that Jesus wants to to know you before he wants to use you? Jesus wants to know you before he wants to use you. Here's why I think that's so important, friends. Because in our, in our culture where what your worth is what you produce, you need to know that the kingdom of God does not operate in the same way. Your worth is not tied to your production. Your worth is tied to the fact that you are created, intricately designed, dreamed up by the hand of God himself. That's where your worth comes from. And when we get these things mixed up, we get ourselves into all sorts of trouble. But Jesus cries with them. He weeps with them. He has this heart connection with them before he says, hey, will you do this? And he knows them intimately before he even invites them to be part of his mission. think what happens in us here what happens in me when i get this wrong is i think to, I, I start to think that jesus needs me i, I, I start to think i'm 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 great 
Like God's upstairs going, so glad that Paulson guy's on my team. Oh, what would we do without him? Real winner. Like before I know that my value is in him alone, before I know that my worth is, is tied directly to the fact that he speaks love and speaks blessing over me, that he created me, that he designed me, that he wove me together, unless I'm content and stand firm in that, I start to get on shaky ground that, that Jesus actually needs me. And, and hey, please hear me. If you hear nothing else today, hear this, that he does not invite you into his mission because he needs you. He invites you into his mission because he's good to you and gracious to you and is fighting for your joy. He doesn't need you. This is an invitation out of his goodness and grace to be a part of what he is doing in the world. See, people who jump out on mission before they know the heart of God, they're dangerous. I mean, aren't they, you think of a soldier going into battle, all loaded up, weapons ready to go, and they don't get him the memo about the battle plan. I think that's the way a lot of Christians operate. Hey, we got the guns, we got the, we've got the knowledge, we've got the truth, and let's just go out and let's get it done. Before we see the heart of God, that he, that he, he, he weeps over lost people, that he loves them enough to pursue them, to chase them down, to comfort them. In this passage, we see that the, one of the things that lands Mary and Martha at the crossroad of their participation and God's sovereign plan is that they are willing to weep with Jesus. And in that weeping, mission rubs off. Because intimacy is a fuel for ministry. Not the other way around. Not the other way around. And when we're with him, we start to hear his heart. And look at the way that he describes his mission in Luke 19. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the who? Lost. He came to seek and save the lost. And as we're with him, we start to get his heart. Start to understand what what breaks his heart. We understand what what causes him to weep and what causes him to cry. And, And in those intimate moments, it starts to break our heart too. And I think he starts to say to us, all right, now you're, now, now you're, now you're ready. Now I can, now you're invited. See, it's, it's urgency, it's conviction, and it's intimacy that leads us to this divine crossroad. Verse 38. It says, Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and the stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. So other people are getting invited into this mission of God. Hey, you get to be part of what I'm doing. I bet that's a story they tell for the rest of their life. Hey, remember when, remember when we were like standing there and Jesus said, take away the stone and, and we did. And then a few minutes later, that guy, what was his name? Lazarus came out of the grave. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he's been dead four days. The King James Version, I think, reads, he stinketh. (laughs) 
they're, they're, that's, that's important because they're not the stinkest part. That's not important. It's important because the, the Jewish belief was that the spirit hovered around the body for three days and then after three days it went away. So it's their way of saying, he's not part dead anymore. He's really dead. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to the Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he's been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around. You wonder if you just looked around like, Father, I know you always hear me, but I said this to the people... They'd know. No, I don't, I don't that. So they'd know. And when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus! Now, side note, it's important that Jesus clarify who he's raising from the dead. Because if he just does the general, come out! I mean, everybody there knows who they're... T- but who knows who else walks out of the grave, Right? Lazarus, come out. The man who died came out. Let's get a few, just really quick. Let's get one thing straight here. You're invited to participate in the mission of God. But we need to be clear. God raises people to life. You don't. You don't. A lot of times our vernacular seems to lead us to think that we play a little bit of a bigger role than we do. We'll talk about like winning souls. Listen, Jesus is the only one that wins souls. Let me get that on the table. Jesus is the only one who raises the dead to life. He's the only one. Uh, So we see, we see this in Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9. It says, for by grace you've been saved through faith. And this not of your own doing. It's the gift of who? God. And Him alone. Not as a result of works so that no one may boast. Now by God's divine sovereign plan, He's chosen that the way that He often awakens dead people to life is through the preaching of His word, through the interaction of His people, through the speaking of His truth where His spirit quickens them. But you you have to know as you go out there and as you share and are an ambassador to Jesus, Jesus awakens people to life. And He invites you often to observe and He invites you to participate, but He's the one who does it for you. He's the one who does it. So, we see that we are invited to respond to the invitation of Jesus to join his mission. See, their urgency, their conviction of his power, the intimacy that they have with him leads to this divine intersection where he says, all right, Come and play. Come and play. I love this because they, he, he tells them to do two things. Once they see Lazarus and have whatever kind of conversation they have with him through the grave clothes, I mean, they have to ask him something. These are real people. This is a real event. I don't know what you would ask, but I would, I, I would probably ask, what's it like to be dead as we're like unwrapping 
But he says this. He, he says he tells them two, gives them two commands. One, unbind him. Literally, loose him. Free him. Take away, take away the remnant of death that has him bound. Did you know that it's, it's possible to be alive yet in chains? It's possible to be, to be cre- recreated, to be new, to be born again, and yet to be just bound by sin to be bound by shame, to be bound by guilt, to be tied up in a bunch of the things that used to be part of our life but are really no longer. It's possible to be alive but to be bound. And he says to Mary and Martha, in his divine sovereignty and in his grace and letting them be part of the mission, hey, Mary and Martha, go strip away the memory of of death. Remind him his past is now under the weight of the grace of God. And and as his people, this is one of God's unique callings to his church to help people see their past in light of his grace. I mean, is there anything is there anything better Jesus awakens to life, but you and I get the opportunity to walk with people and to point back and to say, no, 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 no. What happened before is now under his grace. His cross covered it. His blood covered it. His resurrection stamped and paid for the fact it's done. It's complete. That's who you were. That's not who you are. Now you're alive. And we get to remind people, hey, you are no longer dead, but Jesus has raised you to life. What? An invitation. As I was um, preparing this week, um, Eva, uh, our admin, will you come up, Eva, um, shared with me that this passage has just been really impactful in her life about the calling that we have as followers of Jesus um, to live this out, to really believe that the past is under the grace of God and sometimes that means that Forgiveness is necessary on our part. Um, and so I wanted her to share her story with you um, about part of the way that God's used this passage in her life. Eva. For those of you that don't know me, my name's Eva Maxwell, and I do work here at the church. Uh, Ed and I have been married 40 years, and we have five married children, and all of them are believers working strong in the church Love the Lord. I have 16 grandchildren. And so we were fruitful and they multiplied. (laughs) About 10 years ago, God started us on a journey, though, that I never would have believed possible for my family. Uh, I got a call sitting in a a restaurant one afternoon. Got a call from Ed and he said, get over to Mandy's as quick as you can. Mandy is our youngest daughter. He said, something has happened to David. David is our son-in-law. So I got over there. We found out that Arapahoe County Sheriff had uh, called Mandy and told her to come in, that it was regarding David. And as we took her to Arapahoe County Jail, Ed and I both thought that he was dead, and that was why she had to come. But we found out something, something else 
that was a huge thing. He had been arrested in a sting for possession of underage pornography. And during the next uh, several years, the journey that we were on was one that I would never have imagined at all that we would ever have to go on. The things that we learned would take me over an hour for me to describe this journey to you. Our daughter came and lived with us in the first five years of their son's life. Um, Ed was his daddy, and he got to see his father only occasionally. We heard our daughter cry on our shoulder many times. There were a lot of things that we had to learn then. David spent 18 months in a federal penitentiary and was released in, um, and then had five years of probation. He's on the sex offender list. Our house was on the sex offender list. My dear sweet husband, some of the neighbors thought he was the one, I'm sure. And there, there's just so much that we learned about shame. There's so much that we learned about forgiveness. And Ed and I had to look and figure out after David came home, what does loving David look like? And we'd had a chance while he was in prison and everything because Mandy lived with us. We had had a chance to sort through this for ourselves. But when David got out of prison, that wasn't necessarily so for our children. Our oldest son um, is in law enforcement. And so as far as he was concerned, we should just shoot David and tell God he was dead. I mean, there was, you can imagine, he had watched his baby sister, and the other two sons felt pretty much the same way. They didn't want David at any of the family functions. They didn't want David around. They did not want them around his, their children. Um, it, Ed and I sat back and watched our family slowly disintegrating, and we never, ever we were a close-knit family. Never thought this would happen to us. On October 4th, five years ago, it'll be five years ago on October 4th, Brad Strait preached a sermon from this pulpit about Lazarus. And we were sitting over there in our pew where we always sit. And I remember him telling the story about how Jesus had called Lazarus forth from the tomb And Lazarus had come out healed. He was healed. But then he called his family and friends to unloose him. And Ed and I looked at each other and we said, that's David. And with fear and trembling, we told our children about this sermon over the next few weeks. And we so slowly have seen this wonderful Lord of ours work in their life. Uh, My oldest son, The trooper just spent the weekend at their house. Um, David, of course, repented right away and and has asked forgiveness of the Lord and is living for the Lord, and he'll be in counseling the rest of his life, leads uh, recovery groups, and speaks about the dangers of pornography. God forgave him, but it's been up to his family and friends to stand beside him and unloose the dirty, smelly grave clothes. Thank you. Eva, thank you so much. Transparency, honesty. I think what what I love about this story, what Eva's sharing, is that we can read this story and it can seem sort of sterile and it can seem safe and it can seem exciting, like, yes. I mean, but they're touching 
death as they undo him. And I just wonder today, I wonder who the people are in our lives that God is calling us and that God is inviting us to walk through, to point back to their past and say, no, 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 no. It's, it is redeemed by the grace and the mercy of God. I, I want to challenge you. Who are those people in your life? And so he says, unbind them and finally, and we'll close with this. He says, let them go. Let him go. So as we join God in his mission, we have the chance to walk with people and encourage them to step into a future defined by freedom. He says, you're no longer chained up. You're no longer chained up. Lazarus, run, walk, eat, breathe, do whatever you do, Lazarus, but you're no longer in the grave. And no, you're, you're no longer chained. You are no longer dead, Lazarus. You are alive. And this is discipleship. This is discipleship. It's walking with people, reminding them of what Jesus has done, reminding them of their new identity in him, and encouraging them to live it out. Friends, I pray that you will not, that I will not miss out on one of God's greatest gifts to us and remain observers or just experiencers. But that when he says to us, hey, you go, unbind them. Or you, hey, why don't you, why don't you steer for a while? That we would say, thank you, Jesus. In all of its fear, in all of its trembling, in all of its uncertainty that South Fellowship Church would be known as a place where we don't just sit in the goodness and grace of God, but where we step into the mission and the plan of God, knowing that we get to play a part. Thank you, Lord. Let me pray for us.